And for the rest of you that is stuck up here with me, I'm going to ask that you turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three, and if you want to mark your Bible, because we're going to be visiting another text um, in just a moment, turn to John chapter twenty-one. So we're going to be in verse First Peter chapter three, and, and then we're also going to move to John chapter twenty-one, and we're going to start in verse Peter chapter three, verse thirteen. That's where we will start. So I'll give you a moment to find your way there. So here we go. I'm going to ask you a question as you turn because I still hear some pages turning. Raise your hand if you've ever used this saying. I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I always said my kids won't act like that. My kids will act like this. My house will always operate like this. Little did I know then what I know now. Um, and then not just that, but it comes to, well, I'll never get older. I'll never slow down. I'll never, I'll never... Boy, little did I know then what I know now. So here's what I want to do. I want to start in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 is where we're going to begin. And let's go ahead and read a few verses here uh, before we go over to John chapter 21. There was something that really stood out to me because if you remember last week, we read about the healing at the pool of Bethesda and in which Jesus healed a man that, that did not know who Jesus was. So one thing I want to just kind of mentioned before we really begin here is that God's grace isn't just for saved people. God's grace met a man who was ill on at sitting beside or laying beside the pool at Bethesda who did not know who Jesus was. The man that was healed last week did not know who Jesus was. The man was not a Christian. Whenever you read Acts chapter 2 after Peter preaches the very first sermon of the church, You hear Peter tell the people, you need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said that this promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, whom God calls to himself. So we have to understand that for you and I to call ourselves saved is an extension of God's grace, because we cannot save ourselves. So God's grace at times reaches some pretty messy people. I mean, God's grace will get a hold of you as you're living in sin, and it will bring you to a screeching halt to where you can't continue living in sin because God's convicting you or drawing you in such a strong way that there is only one way to go, and it is to bow yourself before the Lord. And I would say a lot of us could testify that we were running rampant in, in sin. We were, just, we were just comfortably, intentionally just living in it, and we were loving it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's just like the, God, the Lord just got a hold of us and stopped us right where we are and drew us to himself to where we would repent, call upon his name, surrender ourselves. So God's grace is extended. Sometimes we consider them messy people. Maybe they're not deserving you know, they don't live like we're living right now. 
But here's what I want to do. I really want to build upon God's grace because you and I are only here by God's grace. I don't want you to ever forget that. You are not here because of how good you are. I am not here because of how good I am or how talented I may be. I am here by the grace of God. You are here by the grace of God. That person sitting next to you is still here by the grace of God. Those children that you're raising who may make you frustrated at times or keep you up late at night as you train them in the Lord will grow to know who the Lord is. That is a beautiful gift and an extension of God's grace. So let's, go, let's get to work. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Peter writes this. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's where I want to stop for a moment. And there's two things in this text that I want to mention. And the first one is very clear. First one's very clear. Peter is writing this letter. It is considered to be roughly A.D. 62. All right, A.D. 63. We're in the low 60s. So what that means is, Christ was born, most believe, around 3 BC, all right? And then around 30 BC is when Christ would die, resurrect, and ascend to his heavenly throne. We're talking 30-ish years, all right? 30-ish years after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, Peter pens this letter. Who does he write it to? Well, if you read the very beginning of 1 Peter, you read that he is writing this to Christians who are dispersed everywhere. I mean, there's Christians dispersed all over the world because the the gospel is being preached and proclaimed by the followers of Christ and the worldly, you know, political leaders and the worldly leaders of that time despised surrendering to Jesus as Lord because they were king or they were rulers. They did not need a, a savior. They thought them and themselves would be good. So they began to persecute Christians. They began to kill Christians, which ultimately led for the church to be dispersed and to split as their homes were being you know, burned or their homes were being torn apart and their families were being split up. Peter writes this sermon or writes this letter to Christians dispersed all over, and he tells them, he says, even if you should suffer, even if you should be persecuted, even if you should die for righteousness' sake, righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He goes on to say, have no fear for them, nor be troubled. And so here's what I want you to tell. First and foremost, before we really dig in here, you and I could be persecuted for the sake of Christ. We could be. Now, we're not going to go, I mean, maybe you've been mocked or humiliated. People have said names or said you, you know, have called you names and things like that. But, you know, we really don't necessarily have a, a good understanding of what persecution for righteousness sake looks like here because our persecution is, well, they made an ugly comment on my Facebook share. 
Or, well, they said I was a holy roller or a Bible thumper. And we don't really necessarily have a good understanding of the persecution that they were necessarily experiencing in this day. However, you and I will be persecuted in our own context. It may not get to the point of being, you know, homes burned to the ground and families being dispersed in our lifetime, but there is also a chance that it will. So we have to be ready to be you know, we have to be ready to give it offense, as Peter says, with, you know, gentleness and respect, but we also have to be prepared to be persecuted or to be, you know, written off or to be canceled for the sake of Christ. So are you willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to lay your life down for the sake of Christ? Are we willing to face persecution? And here... One of the things, again, we're talking 30 years after Jesus has died. Some of the people who are facing persecution never even witnessed the resurrection. Some of the people who are being killed because of their faith were not around following Jesus as he taught. They are being raised up. There may have been teenagers or young adults who did not necessarily see Jesus who are being persecuted and who are being dispersed. And here we are 2,000 years later, Christians all over the world being persecuted and killed on this very moment in time for the sake of the gospel. But I'll just tell you this, it is worth dying for. It is worth dying for to know that you will be eternally in his majesty and his glory is worth dying for. So first and foremost, we want to know that there is a point in time where you and I may suffer for the sake of righteousness. Now, our context may be, well, they don't do business with us, or they don't want to be around us, or they consider us to be this, or they consider us to be that. And we have to get to the point where we're willing to face consequences of that persecution. But as we begin to think about Peter writing this, we're talking 30 years post-resurrection. And it's almost as if you can see in Peter saying, I wish I would have known then what I know now. See, because if you go back in time in Peter's life, as he says here, do not fear them, nor be troubled. Don't you remember a time where Peter was told by Jesus, hey, you all are going to fall away. What did Peter say that night before Jesus was arrested and crucified? He said, no, not me, Lord. They may all fall away, but I will die with you. I will die for you. And then Jesus rebuked him and he said what to him? He said, before the rooster crows, you will what? Deny me three times. So if you go back in time, you go back to Peter's life and Peter's real experience with facing a time in which he could have been persecuted for righteousness sake, in which he could have suffered or been, you know, he, he did not want to be recognized as one of those followers of Jesus because he was fearful of what the people may do. He was fearful that maybe they would, they would try to crucify him with Jesus. Maybe they were, he was afraid for his life. So, so he said three times, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows and we know that Peter went off and wept and likely, you know, was pleading with the Lord to forgive him. So we understand that you and I may be persecuted. We may face consequences for the sake of the gospel and we must be willing to face it. We must be willing. And here's the other thing. We cannot shy away from God's word if God's word is what brings upon the persecution. We cannot shy away from, add to, or try to manipulate God's word to please the ears of people. And and here's one thing I want you to know. I would rather face persecution and be called all kinds of names and be considered one thing or another by earthly mouths than be condemned to hell for eternity by my heavenly father. 
So let's face the persecution now because eventually one of, those day, one of these days, those people will dwell apart from him for all of eternity. There's one thing, one thing that we're for certain. I got to share this with Michaela's great-grandpa uh, this past week. I said, Lawrence, there's two things we're certain of. I said, one, life on this earth will eventually end. I said, it may be pain-free, it may be painful, but life on this earth will, will end. But eternity will never end. I said, we are certain. So, so here's what I want you to do. If you face persecution, if people begin to mock you, or begin to humiliate you, begin to try to cancel you or consider you an outcast or, or a bigot or you're intolerant, let them say whatever they want to say. Let them bring on anything they want to bring. As long as you are standing on the word of God and you are approaching them with gentleness and respect, as Peter says, there is nothing they can say. That's why he says, having good conscience, so whenever you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, meaning they have nothing to say about you other than they disagree with you. It's not like you're attacking them. It's not like you're, you're bringing on any more punishment or pain in their life. You are literally just a follower of Jesus. And because of that, the worldly people that we live with, that we do life with, hate Jesus. It's not so much that they hate you because we all know people that would really be great friends to us if it wasn't for Jesus. Because if it wasn't for me loving Jesus, we and other people will be great friends or great companions. But because of Jesus, there is a dividing line between me and some people because of Christ. And there has to be. We cannot compromise our faith to fit in with people. We cannot compromise our faith to be you know, appreciated and respected by all people. There are going to be people who despise you. There are going to be people who hate you. There are going to be people who w- would wish you would never come around. And it's not so much you. It's Jesus. So let Jesus take care of them. You don't need to take care of them how Jesus will take care of them. But secondly, I think about Peter. We're talking 30 years after Peter was faced with a moment in time in which he denied Jesus three times. Now let's go to John chapter 21. And as, as you turn to John 21, I, I just want to ask you this. Who here has ever made a mistake? Some of you. <laughs> On your way to church. Who drove over the speed limit, yelled at their children, or, or debated? You know, just, it's not arguing. I heard a preacher tell, tell somebody on the radio, my wife and I don't argue. We just have intense fellowship, you know, with one another. It's just intense fellowship. We don't fight. It's just my volume and my point of view. Um, so, so yeah, we all make mistakes. Now here, let me ask you this. Who here has ever been so ashamed of your mistakes that you felt there's no way? God would ever love me again. I mean, you can just raise your hand. There's no way God would ever, why would God want me? I mean, why, after all that I've done, after all that I've said, after all, you know, and here we read about a story in which Peter denies Jesus three times. So what, what do men do when they want to clear their mind? They've got a lot going on. He's trying to process Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus I also denied him three times. I told him I would die for him, yet I lied to him because I denied him. There's no way. Why would he want me? So what do men do? We go, right? Not me. I don't touch those slimy things, but I I will sit in a tree stand with a high-powered rifle um, and and watch the skunks and the squirrels and the deer. But what do we do? We want to get out. We got to clear our minds. So here we go to Peter fishing. And when they had finished 
Well, I'm just going to begin in, in chapter 21, verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said, cast the note on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's kind of like, ah, this is, this is deja vu, right? If you remember the time where Jesus fought, called his disciples, he asked Peter to use the boat. There was an instance where they had caught no fish all night. Peter said, we've, we've fished all night and you're telling us you don't even fish, you're a carpenter, but you want to tell us how to fish? And he says, just go into it, cast it into the deep. And it's almost like John looks at Peter and says, a little deja vu here. It's got to be the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He was working. He was, he was trying to make money. He was trying to fish. He had to get back to work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he said this to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God, this being Peter. And after he said this, he said to him, Jesus to Peter said, follow me, follow me. So whenever we discussed last week, the healing at the pool of Bethesda, we go to this week to a, a man that we all maybe look up to in Peter, you know, St. Peter, this rock that I'm going to build my church upon Peter, this, the same man that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, the same man that cut off the man's ear in the garden because he was coming to arrest Jesus. And, and, and we're talking about that Peter who was a young man, you know, I don't know exactly how old, but most scholars believe he was in his young 30s. And here's what I know. People in our young, you know, in our 20s and young 30s, we have a lot of growing up to do. There's a lot of things that we learn over time. And Peter finds this point in time in his life. And he is writing to these Christians who are dispersed all over. And he's almost saying by personal experience, I know what it's like to face suffering because Peter is eventually going to die by persecution. Peter was persecuted as well. Peter was arrested for the sake of the gospel. Peter would be crucified upside down and X-shaped as most scholars would conclude. 
I mean, this man faced persecution like maybe none of us will ever face. But he writes to these Christians 30 years after this scene, and he says, do not fear them. Do not fear them. And it's almost as like he's saying, if I had known then what I know now, I may have done things a little different. And here we are, let's say we, maybe in the last three years or the last five years, you've looked at the course of your life and you realize, man, if I wish, I wish I would have known then what I know now. You know, maybe it comes to life and you think, well, I wouldn't have said yes to this person. I wouldn't have, you know, become friends with that person. I would have, you know, taken this career or I would have pursued that job or, you know, all of us men, let's just, let's just, I'm just going to attack you for one minute. All of us were all state quarterbacks in our past, right? Boy, if I would have known then, I would have thrown that, as Uncle Rico said, I would have thrown that pigskin a quarter mile. You know, I would have worked so hard in sports or I would have lifted weights. I would have been the best. All of us would have been, could have been. But here's what we have to realize, just as Peter realized. As he began to weep weep with the Lord because he's reminded as Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's reminded of those three times that he denied Jesus. There is no going back and changing anything that we have done or said, but we must understand the grace of God may not necessarily change what we've done but can restore broken hearts, can save us from our sin, and can guide us in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. So you may be here thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could go back and do this. Man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Geez, if I could go back, I wouldn't have said, listen to me, you can't go back and do any of that over. What you can do is call upon the name of the Lord what you can do is, as John, who witnesses this breakfast on the beachside, wrote in 1 John, he says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. The last three days worth, the last 30 years worth, he's able to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. That's the grace of God to know that there are going to be people in this room. And here's what I want you to know now. So you don't tell me later on, you know, in the future then, boy, I wish I would have. Every single person's in here, you have the responsibility and the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to surrender yourself to him and to follow him. What did I say wrong? <laughs> I thought I was preaching the Bible. Did I say something wrong? No, I'm just kidding. But every single person in this room, you have the opportunity right now, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord, here's what I don't want you to do. Because in 15 years, I don't want to get this phone call and tells me, man, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. Because you know now that Jesus came in earthly form, put on bone and flesh to die a sinless 
sacrifice as a perfect, spotless lamb of God to save people like you and me. You know that, right? You, I'm telling you right now that Jesus came to die for you and he also rose from the dead for you and now he's interceding for you. And guess what? The promise is not yet fulfilled because either you and I are gonna see him face to face whenever we breathe our last breath or the skies will split wide open however he chooses to do it and he will return. That's true. That's what's going to happen. So you know now that Jesus came for you, he died for you, and you have to respond to him by truly doing as what Peter said, to repent of your sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and be forgiven and be set free and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that will constantly intercede or constantly convict you, constantly compel you to ultimately sanctify you to be a greater reflection of who Jesus is, of who he is. So you know now, you know now if you are living in sin today, I don't want to hear three years from now, man, I wish I would have listened to that sermon. You better listen. Not just to me, but listen to your spouse. Listen to the Spirit of God that's convicting you and compelling you and confronting you. Listen to the music. Listen to the Lord as He grows in you. And please, 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 may we stop saying, man, I wish I would have known then what I know now. Because now we know that the grace of God is given to imperfect, flawed people. So here's what I want us to do to end this service. As Peter sat on the beachside with Jesus, Jesus cooked him breakfast. Jesus fed him. A man that had been so grieved for denying Jesus three times is now being offered breakfast by the man that he denied three times. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he ends the conversation with what? Follow me. Follow me. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, which means preach the gospel. Shepherd the people that I appoint you to be over. Lead them in the spirit. So here's what I want to ask you. If you're here today and you feel the weight of shame, you feel the weight of sin, or maybe there's this part of you that's a little broken. I want you to ask, imagine Jesus asking you, do you love me? What I believe he would tell you is very similar to what he would tell Peter. If you love me, it's time to follow me and it's time to get to work. It's time to stop wishing you would have done or you could have done. It's time to change what's next. It's time to begin feeding the sheep. It's time to get, begin raising your children in the, in the church and in the way of the Lord. It's, be, it's time to start sharing your faith with people in your family that don't know the Lord because you don't know what tomorrow will hold or if even tomorrow will come. It's time to get to work. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you think, man, I wish I would have, I wish I could go back and do, I want you to just stop, stop it. And just plead with the Lord to forgive you and to redeem that relationship or to begin repairing your broken heart. And I would tell you this, that the Lord would receive more glory in you getting to work on his behalf and following him. My time's up. <laughs> we're going to have a, we're going to have to put a no phone sign in this place. My time is up. I will wrap it up.
Judy. But here's what I want to just plead with you to stop burdening yourself and stop tearing yourself apart because of your past. To stop holding on to or carrying around the shame or the guilt or the pain that your, de- your decisions have brought and just plead with the Lord to forgive, to redeem and to just ask him to make you new. And I believe that what you would need to do as you leave here is to truly begin to work. How did Peter respond whenever he knew it was Jesus after all that he had done? He jumped out of the boat and began to ran to Jesus because he had to be in his presence because of the weight of the shame, the weight of the guilt, the weight of his sin and his decisions. So may we today just call upon the name of the Lord. If you are here today and you feel broken because of what you know now, wish, wish you would have known then. May we truly in a, in a spiritual way find ourselves running to the Lord and just asking him to forgive us and to redeem us and to truly set us free. Let's pray. Thank <clears throat> you.